two and a half years of this church, we saw God come like into our meetings. It was supernatural. God would come into our meetings like 9.30 in the morning and he would like pick us up in this realm of his glory, the whole meeting, the whole service. We would just get lost in him. We would, you know, in those days we didn't have a band. We had a CD player <laughs> and we would, we would praise to the CD Ron Canoli. Yeah. And I would just jump around the front to a CD player and get, come on everybody, yeah, let's praise the Lord. And it was all this black stuff. And it was so corny. But God came and then Phil and I, he would get his car out. Because when you pioneer a church, those are churches, just remember this, you have to do everything. You have to put the chairs out, you have to greet the people at the door, then you get up and you be a, a worship leader and then you've got to preach, and you do the tithes, you take up the offering, you take up the offering, we run around with the buckets, then you get back up and then you do the message and then you greet everybody and you pray for everybody that, and you go and do it all again the next week. But these were amazing days. These were like early in the morning, God would just pick us up and I'm, this is no word of a lie, three in the afternoon, wasted, God will put us back down and we would have to tell people, go home. That's no lunch break, no morning tea break. This is just from 9.30 in the morning to 3 noon. God would just like totally apprehend us. And it was like time, there was no time. And then we would be preaching and people would just be walking past outside. They'd run in and fall on the altar and just say, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I give you my heart, Jesus. And people would be saved and healed and delivered. People used to get saved in the giving message. I remember times that Pastor Phil would be just doing the giving message and next minute he'd just start crawling over the seats and he'd point to someone in the back row. Next minute they start crying, they give their heart to Jesus in the giving message. It was so powerful. And we just got taken up by that for about two and a half years, this strong, strong presence of God. And I remember the day... You know, we moved into Wang High School and the Lord said, I'm going to pull back a little. I'm going to pull back a little. The presence of God will always be in this church. Amen. But I'm going to pull back for a while. I want you to get things in order. I want you to get teams together. I want you to get into a building. I want to get everything in order. And then I'm going to come again. But when I come again, I'm stronger than that, And you'll be running till Jesus comes back. Amen. And so we did everything that he told us to do. We put everything in order. I remember the day that, that I was saying to Phil, we're going to have services back. And everybody's going, one o'clock, we can't do that. 9.30 to 1, we'll never get all that we need to do in God. Yeah, it was like the, the really devastating day. We had to cut back to one o'clock. Now we go to 11 and everybody's looking at their watches. It's like, but when God turns up, time goes out the door, amen. And so we've been waiting and, and we've just been faithfully doing the ministry, what God has told us to do, and knowing that, that God would come again, that we would run until Jesus comes back with this revival fire. Amen. And um, when I saw this young man, 30 years old, on Friday night, and Phil, our hearts has leapt within us because we saw the next generation with that same revival fire that we had carried, we saw it in the eyes of this young man. And we saw it in the whole, the whole next day, all of Saturday. We sat in a conference with him. We had three sessions. 
And we even had lunch with him and he never stopped talking the whole time. It's like an American. He's blah, 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 blah. But it's just so profound. We didn't want him to stop. This 30-year-old man, Phil and I, submitted our lives and said, pray for us because whatever is on your life, we want it. Amen. Soak us with whatever you've got. You know, he's got behind him great men and women of God that say to him across the earth, I want to mentor you. I want to put my hand on you. I want to... And he says this, he said that there's going to be a generation and generations of fire brands. There'll be no more the one-man shows, the two-man shows, amen. But generations, and he said generations, generations, never. He said no longer will it be, no longer will it be an orphaned revival. And he said to us, he said, I don't notice there's many fathers in this nation. You're a young nation. You're very young. And he said, God wants to quickly bring this nation into maturity. And he wants to release the fathers and the mothers to partner with the sons and the daughters in a massive revival that's going to sweep right across this nation. He said, the whole world is waiting for the revival that God wants to do in Australia. They're waiting. Smith Wigglesworth said that this would be the great Southland of the Holy Spirit would have a revival that would usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. It would be the last revival on earth would start in Australia. Amen. And we will be sent out to other nations. There will be firebrands of people sent out to other nations. And you know, God, in this revival, the main key is this. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Amen. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And I believe that that spiritual generations coming together. And this man laid hands on Phil and I and he, you know, he just said, you are, you are the father and mother of revival and you're going to birth revivalists to go out into the nations." And we knew that. That's why we've never given up. Never given up. Because in our eyes, we saw you. In our eyes, we saw every one of you. You know, 15 years ago when people told us to give up, 10 years ago when people said, give up. Two months ago, give up. Last week, when people said, give up. We saw you. And as far as we're concerned, we have this attitude, whatever it takes, we will father and mother this next generation to see the greatest things that the earth has ever seen. And we will be behind you. We'll be shouting. We'll be eggly praying for you. We'll be pastoring you. Amen. So that you will not be orphans. Amen. And the thing that God has been pressing really strongly upon my heart, and I wasn't going to share it tonight because it's just such a deep message and I probably need a few sessions to really get everything out that I believe God's been saying to me for the last couple of months. But tonight, Pastor Phil asked me, would I just give you a taste of what's in here and then I would like to do a series on it. I believe this. I believe over every nation there are strongholds that stop God moving. Amen. If you went to America, what do you think the stronghold over America would be? Huh? Pride. Would everyone agree with that? Do you find Americans a little prideful? 
Amen? It's not, I'm not being critical. It's just what's over the place. Amen? Pride. Okay. And so then you would go to other nations and you would notice there is poverty. Okay, you go to somewhere like Southeast Asia, what would be the stronghold over that nation? Idolatry and poverty. Okay? And so in our nation here, the, the thing that is over our nation is the thing that we were birthed in. They were birthed as convicts. Those of us who are the whites that came into this land, amen? Those of us like me who were the Aboriginals who were already here, there was rejection on both sides. We were slaughtered, we were rejected, we were thrown off our land. You guys were sent here as white people, as slaves. as You were actually sent here to perish. You were rejected. You were told that you were no good nobodies and sent to a land to actually perish. But the good old Aussie battler rose up, amen, and said, we will survive, we will survive, we will survive. And in that, there came this, there came this, you know, Aussie, Aussie, oi, oi, oi thing, but it's the spirit of independence. It's this thing that says, I can do it, and I don't need anybody else's help, and yeah, God can be in my life, but don't come too close, God, because i got it all together. And we've got this whole thing about us, and what it comes out of is a spirit of rejection. The stronghold over our nation is rejection. Most of us are fairly insecure. We're gentle, soft people. We're kind people. But when it comes to like ourselves that much, we're not like Americans. We're not going to boast about ourselves. You know, we boast about other people, but we're always, you know, pulling ourselves to pieces. And, and what that comes out of, it comes out of what I call an orphan spirit. And I, and I was sitting in these meetings, even um, on Saturday. Was that yesterday? Yesterday. <laughs> Been in church all weekend. It's like, wow, I love it. Wish it was all week. And I'm sitting in these me- meetings, and it just got confirmed to me over and over again. It's an orphan spirit. It's an orphan spirit. And what the orphan spirit makes you feel like, it makes you feel like you just don't belong. I mean, you, you, you may be, you know, in a but you just feel like you just don't quite belong. You still feel like you're a bit of an outcast. Maybe you're the black sheep, maybe you're the white sheep, but you just don't quite belong. And what happens is, and, and those of us that come from you know, families where there haven't been fathers there, where we, we've struggled, amen, well, that's, you know, that, that spirit gets in really deep because here we are, we've got it in the roots of our land where we're fatherless, that we're orphaned, that we're rejected, that we're abandoned, and then it's reinforced by our upbringings over and over and over and over again. And even if those of us who had great fathers, they make heaps of mistakes that reinforce that. Amen. And then it's over and over again. So we grow up, and and we're growing up, and we're feeling like we're fatherless. No matter what we do, no matter what we do to try and fill this void, and then we come to church, and we get saved, and, and someone at the front says, Welcome to the family of God. This is your Father in heaven. Let me introduce you to your Father. And we go, Yeah, yeah, God is all cool, but you know, like the father I really get. And yeah, the church is good, but the family thing, you know, I'll just give you this much of my heart, but the rest of it, you know, I'm just going to be a little bit protective because, you know, you don't know who you can trust. And I'm not going to really put my roots down because. You know, I might just have to move soon. You know, if things don't work out, if 
I don't really like, you know, the parents in this house or whatever, I might just have to move. And there's always that feeling of just not being settled. Jesus said this in John 14, 18. He said this, I will not, and I want to say not, I will not leave you as orphans. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. He was saying that there was coming one, the Spirit of truth. He was coming. And he would come and he would live with us and he would walk with us and he'd be a part of our lives. That Jesus was going to be with the Father, but he would not leave us as orphans. We have a promise that we would not be orphans. Amen? But, but right across our nation, and probably the nations of the world to some extent, there has been this orphan spirit. There's this orphan heart. There's this heart that just doesn't quite feel like it belongs. And you know, the enemy, since the beginning, has gone after that orphan heart. He has. You know why he's gone after that orphan heart? Because God ultimately is Father. And if he can get God's people believing they're really not sons and daughters, that he really isn't father. If, they, if he can get God's people convinced that they have this orphan heart, that, oh yeah, I'm born again, but I don't quite belong. God kind of loves me, I guess he does. Because we don't like ourselves, well, mm. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbor as you'd love yourself. And it's really hard to love God when we don't love ourselves and it's really hard to love ourselves when we don't love God. And it's really hard to love our neighbours when we've got our heart all protected and we've got our walls up because we don't kind of feel like we belong. Amen. See, God is Father. But what did God do to counteract this orphan spirit, this orphaned heart? The scriptures say that God so loved, God so loved, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God the Father wanted to so much demonstrate to you that he was your father and that you were his son, that you were his daughter, that he gave his son as a ransom for your life. Amen that we might become sons and daughters of God. Look at this in Galatians 4, 4-7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Let me explain to all the girls that when the scriptures speak of sons, it means sons and daughters. So every time I say son, just go, yeah, she's talking about me. Sons and daughters, amen? You know this word here that says, the spirit inside of us, the spirit of his son is in our hearts, Amen? The spirit of his son is so convinced that God is there that he cries out for us, Abba, Father. You know the word Abba, what it means? The translation of that word into our language is Daddy. 
Jesus inside of us is so longing to cry out from within us and say, Daddy, Daddy, Father. He wants you to have a revelation that you are a child of the living God, that inside of you, he's crying out inside of you right now, right now as I speak, right inside your side that's come over. Daddy, Daddy. This is the name that Jesus gave to him. You see, before that, we had all these names for God, the Old Testament, names that men couldn't even pronounce because they didn't even have E's and A's and stuff in them. But when Jesus came on the earth, he began to give us a different way, a different name for God. His disciples said to him, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. And he said, pray like this. Our Father. Our Father who are in heaven. Our Father. Jesus was trying to say, it's not just my Father. But this is our Father. You see, he created you. God is your Father. And way back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, God, who longed to walk with us and talk with us and be intimate with us, share our lives, take photos, have photo albums, amen. He's got brag books about us. This is our God. He was separated from us. And it broke his heart. But in his heart of hearts, he had a plan. He had a plan that he would bring his children back to him. You know, Jesus came. Our glorious Jesus came. The representation of God on the earth, the Son of God came to earth. And there was this incredible day when Jesus was going to be going to be revealed finally all these years as the Son of God. And now he knows this is the day. And he was led to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he walks up to John and and John recognizes who he is and behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus gets baptized by John. And when Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, it says this, it says that a dove has descended on him like the Spirit of God and there was a voice that was heard from heaven and it said this, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God was declaring from the heavens in an audible voice that people could hear, I am re-established as I'm no longer Jehovah. I'm no longer Yahweh. I'm no longer this God that is distant from my people. I haven't come to punish. I'm breaking the law. I'm coming, I'm coming to, to, to give you a way to keep my laws. And he's declaring, he's declaring, this is my son. He's declaring to the whole world, I am your father. And my son is going to bring you back into my arms. And as soon as that was heard from heaven, 
the enemy begins to freak out because he'd had people in this place where they had forgotten that God was their father. And they were in fear of God and trepidation. They didn't want to look at him. They didn't want to go near him. The priests had to go in and seek God on their behalf. And even when he wanted to see them, they didn't want to see him. They ran from him. And the enemy was freaking out. What God is saying he's going to be father again? I'll fix that. And Jesus is drawn into, straight away, drawn out of those waters, straight into the desert, to 40 days of, of fasting, and the enemy comes to tempt him. And what is the first thing the enemy says to him? The tempter, the scriptures say, come to him and say, if you are the son of God. The first thing he challenges is Jesus being the son of God. The first thing he challenges in your life and in my life when we become born again because he doesn't want you to have a father he wants you to remain fatherless you can come to church you can do whatever you want but if he can convince you that you are fatherless if you are the son of God Garth if you really are a son of God if you are a daughter of God And 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 he's continuously, from that day on, trying to imply to us that we are fatherless. That we are fatherless. You know, we we had five kids in my family, crazy. Crazy. Five kids really close together. And um, and my mum was just, many of you met her, amazing woman of God. She would just embrace people. And many people bring home stray animals. She'll bring home stray people. And we always had these trundle beds under our beds where people could sleep. She'd bring home drug addicts. She'd bring home everything. We'd wake up in the morning. Everything was gone. And she would go, that was wonderful. We blessed them, didn't we? Yeah, but mum, they've taken my stereo, my shoes. Yes, I know, but material possessions are nothing. You know, we, we've helped that human being. And one day she came home to us and she said, I've fallen in love. And she had been at a hospital. There was a little boy there that had been abandoned by his mother. Him and his sister were beat so badly that at 18 months old, all the hair fell out of his head. He'd been beat around the head that much. that the, Through shock, the hair fell out. And... Um, he, he, his mother was a prostitute and she dumped the two kids at this hospital and then this little boy got meningitis and became deaf and was put into a home until he was three into an orphanage and my mother was at the hospital for one of us kids and this little boy was sitting on the bench waiting to go in and get his ears checked little redhead freckled kid and um, he started to creep up the bench towards her and she was watching, he just kept creeping up next to her. And the next minute, he just snuggled right into her. And uh, she looked at him, and God said to her, This is your son, take him home. And um, she said, God. She questioned God. She just rang up my father, said, I want another son. And, um, 
the lady came out from inside and she said, how did you get him to do that? Uh, this little boy is totally shut off. He is mute. He is never made a sound. He doesn't and he, if you go near him and he is totally isolated. He's still in nappies because we can't even get him toilet trained at three and he's just a mess. And, and my mother looked at this woman and said, has he, got a, has he got parents? She said, no, he's an orphan. She said, well, he's mine. I'm taking him home. And, we, and my mother fought for that boy for months uh, to get him and to take him home. And I remember David, the day that he came into our home, he was just like, he was only three. And um, they told us at the orphanage that he just always just wore a nappy because he never got up early enough to get clothes because he had to get up early to be, you know, first in best dressed. And he just couldn't be bothered fighting and, you know, he was isolated. So he just usually had a nappy and a singlet. And that's what he lived in. But when they said that, you know, we've got him and he was a foster child, so when they're a foster child, they pay for a whole wardrobe for you to do a whole wardrobe. And we just fitted out this whole wardrobe for him. And he had a little trundle bed in one of the bedrooms because there's so many kids we all shared. And um, there's his little bed there. And we showed him his little wardrobe with all his clothes in it. And we're going, these are yours, you know, these are your shoes and these are your clothes. And he's just like, you know because he was mute and so it's just like you don't know what he's thinking. Anyway, so he goes to bed that night, that's fine. And the next morning, mum went to check on him and his pillow, like he was sleeping like this, because his pillow was just like up so high and his mattress was all bumpy like that. And she couldn't work it out. And then she looked in the wardrobe, there was no clothes in the wardrobe. And under his mattress and under his pillow was every piece of clothing from that wardrobe, all the shoes, everything under the mattress, under the pillow. And we tried to convince him, these are your clothes. Like, you don't have to hide them. No one's going to take them. They're your clothes. But he couldn't get it through his head because he had an orphan spirit. You know what I'm saying? These are yours. These are your clothes. They belong to you. But because he had this orphan spirit, he just couldn't get that through his head. And even to this day, he's now in his 40s. And we loved him with everything that we had. We raised him as our brother. My mother raised him as a son. We changed his name to ours. And even to this day, he's rejected the whole family because he could never get it through his head. The whole family always loved him. Because he had that orphan spirit about him. Heidi Baker talks about the kids in her orphanage you know, when they come in, they come in and off the street and stuff like that, and she brings them in, and she puts them straight into the bathroom and says, have a bath, and there's a cake of soap there, and they've probably never seen a cake of soap. And she said, every time, without fail, they steal the cake of soap. And then she sits them down, and she says, see this soap? It's yours. You don't have to steal it. You can have a bath any time you want with this soap. You don't have to steal it. She said they would come and... They would be eating lunch and they'd be putting bread rolls in their pockets and, you know, stealing the food and hiding it under their pillows. She'd say, this is your food. You don't have to steal it anymore. You don't have to beg anymore. And, you know, this is what, this is what I'm trying to say to you. This is what I'm trying to say to you. When we have an orphan spirit, we don't really put our roots down. My brother never put his roots down in our home. He never did. 
because he, he just he was always waiting for us to reject him. He was always waiting for us to say, okay, go to the next family. We don't want you anymore. He always had his bag just about packed, ready to go. He never trusted. No matter what we did, we loved him with everything we had, but he never trusted us. And an orphan spirit will find it really, really hard to trust. He remained independent. You know, he was independent and I'll do it my way and you can't tell me what to do. And even, even the very first day, I remember the very first words that he said. This is the truth. I mean, the first sound he made was a laughter, which was absolutely beautiful. We were chasing him around the house and all of a sudden, you're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Went, what was that? And we thought he was mute, but he made a sound out because of love. But the very first words he said, my sister said, pick that up, because he dropped an egg on the ground. My sister said, pick it up. And he looked at her and he said, you'll pick it up. <laughs> and it was like that independent spirit, you know, starting to come out. And the other thing is that you'd never believe that you're entitled to the Father's inheritance. Amen. Just very quickly, how am I going? Good. There's, there's a story in, in the scriptures that talks about um, the parable of the lost son. Who knows about the story of the prodigal son? And for, for time, I'm just going to tell you how the story goes. So there's these two sons. And one son says, Dad, I want my inheritance right now and I'm just going to go. I'm just ready for my inheritance right now. And he just goes and off he goes and he squanders the whole inheritance and you know, just destroys himself on, you know, good living and fine women and all that kind of stuff. And he ends up, you know, in a, you know, eating the scraps in the pig pen. Himself, you know, you know, I could even just be a servant in my father's house. It would be better than this. And see, he came running back to his father. And when the scriptures talk to us about adoption. You've been adopted as sons. The scriptures aren't really saying that you weren't God's and now, okay, he'll accept you now. The scriptures are talking about that you were God's in the first place and you went away. And then God welcomes you back and adopts you back into his family. It's an adopting back into. It's not like you're, you're a stranger and... Okay, Ollie, you're born again now. You can be part of God's family. Okay, but you never really were. But you were always God's. You just were out there in the field. And then you ran home to your father. And see, when he went home to his father, his father says this. He opens up his arms and welcomes his son. He gets all the fatted calf and everything out to celebrate. He puts a robe around his shoulders He puts a ring on his finger, which signifies that he can do business in the Father's name. He puts shoes on his feet, which signify that he would never be a slave, that he would always be a son. And he says these words, My son was dead, but now he's alive. And the other son gets upset. I've always been good. I've always been here. I haven't squandered my inheritance. And the father, and he said, you've never done this for me. And the father said to him, you could have always had this inheritance. It's been here for you. You just never took it. And sometimes you'll see young Christians, new Christians coming in, just getting blessed by God, getting blessed by God. And some of us older Christians just go, yeah, that used to happen to me when I first came in. But you know what? You've got the inheritance right here. Thanks, Lisa. 
and you could have it any time that you want it. We've just got to change our mindsets. We've got to get out of this place of this orphan spirit. Amen? We have to come into a place. It says here, Romans 6, um, Romans 8, 16, 17. God himself defies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we are, if we are children, then we are heirs. Amen? If we're children, then we are heirs. Just Ephesians 1, 4-5 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, with his and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Satan wants us to remain under the spirit of this nation, under the stronghold of an orphan spirit. But here's some good news for you. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. Father. Let's stand to our feet right now. What I want to do in this place right now is I want to release. The Bible says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And he said this, whatever you bind on earth bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. What I want to do right now is this. I want to bind in this church over our people, over our lives, the spirit of the orphan. And I want to loose over this place the spirit of sonship through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's every eye closed in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus. Just lift it up, Lisa. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, we come before you. We come before you, God, and we ask that the revelation from heaven will come, that we are truly the sons and the daughters of God, that we are not orphans, Lord, that we are not outcasts, that we are not, we're not rejected, but we have been accepted into your kingdom, that you are our Father. Thank you, Lord the revelation that you're bringing in these days. I thank you, Lord, right now. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I take authority right now over the spirit right now that controls these people and our lives, the spirit of the orphan. I break that power right now over their lives in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in Jesus' loose right now, the spirit of a daughter, the spirit of a child of God, by which you may be able to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, every hand lifted right across this room, and I want you to just start to say that, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You can say it in English if you want, Daddy. Daddy, Father. Daddy, Father. 
Daddy, Father, Daddy, Father, Daddy, Father, my Father, our Father, always. Release your Spirit, Lord, the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus cries out from inside of us, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Even those of you who have not had great homes and great relationships, the scriptures tell us that our fathers and mothers do the best with what they have. But there is one Father who is perfect. Amen. Our Father God. Our Father our who art in heaven. Hallowed. Chains breaking right now. Chains are broken in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that roots will go down deep into the soil of your marvelous love. That roots will go down deep into the soil of your marvelous love, God. Thank you right now. Roots are going down, God. Freedom is coming, God. Freedom in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Lord. A sense of belonging. A sense of unpacking. A sense of ownership, God. And I ask that you would release the inheritance upon your children as true heirs of Christ in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. If I could just have the band for a minute. Just one last thing that I want to do before we, before we go home. Who felt something then? Who, anybody? Just put your hand up, go like that. If you felt something shift, it's awesome. I did. I was praying over me too. Amen. In a minute, we're going to ask people if they want to become Christians. Amen. Because that's the first way to find out if you're a child of God. But, uh, this revival that God is about to loose on the earth, it's going to have a particular flavor. And the flavor is going to be this, it's going to be love. It is going to be a revolution of love. And God so wants for us to understand his love for us so that we can then go and love others comes to us from him and then it goes out to other people. God pours his love into us and then it goes out to other people. And God wants me to tell you this, you don't have to beg for that love anymore. You don't have to plead or bargain or or try and do brownie points for God. Amen? Because that's the spirit of an orphan. But God is just going to pour it out on you for nothing. For no reason at all. He's just going to love on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If we could just play something.